Exodus chapter number 13. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord tonight? I appreciate the Lord, His goodness and grace. I appreciate what He did in my heart this morning. And um, every once in a while I enjoy my own preaching. Amen. And I appreciate His goodness, how He met with us today. And uh, and I appreciate a, a good afternoon. People have asked for my wife is my my little boy Schofield. <clears throat> he's uh, He's got some allergies bothering him. Uh, of course, now anymore, man, you're out in public and you cough, people might lock you up. You never know what they might do. Uh, but more than that, that wasn't really why he stayed home today. He stayed home today because he stayed up half the night. I don't know if he's partying or what he's doing, but he went and sleep. And uh, and I just ain't going to deal with that. Somebody say amen right there. I said, you're going to be like that? I'm going to leave you at home. Amen. And um, and his mama too. Amen. So but they're, they're at home getting some rest. You pray for him. He does this every year, and, and he i got to say, he comes by it honest. I'm the same way. I typically get uh, get allergy sinus stuff about twice a year, and so he's okay, but just be sure and uh, pray for them and, and pray for me because i got to go back home to him. Amen. And, uh, but we're excited. Don't tell him I said any of that. If you if you tell him I said any of that, I'll tell you a story about my father-in-law, and uh, I, I miss my father-in-law. It's been a year since he went home to be with the Lord today. And, uh, I, you know, he, he was always, I, I loved him. And of course he went to church here. He, he was a part of our church life. And so most of you, many of you know him, knew him well. And, um, and he was my Bible teacher in, in school. And, um, he, when he first came, man, he's all about the rules, which is funny because if you knew him, you knew he was not a rules person. Uh, if anything, he was a bit of a rebel. He'd been a hippie back in the, in, you know, the sixties and, into all kinds of stuff, the 60s and the 70s. And, and he, if you knew him, really knew him. I mean, he, he, he had to suppress that. He had to fight that. And, uh, but he was all about the rules. But after he'd been there a few years and we was getting into like our senior year of high school, you know, we was, he, he was, he was starting to loosen up a little bit and getting to know us some. And, and, you know, Taylor was real close with him. And, uh, and I was and several of us. And I remember talking to him one day. And I can't remember what we was talking about. We was talking about music. Of course, I was a teenager, you know, and, and about about the extent of my rebellion was probably listening to some music that a Christian didn't have no business listening to. But we were sitting there talking. Now, he's my teacher. He's my Bible teacher. And uh, we were talking about it. I can't remember how it came up, but I remember vividly him saying to me, he said, yeah, for example, you know, I love Neil Young. And he said, now, if you ever tell anyone that, you're a liar. And I'm going to tell him you're a liar. But he said, I love Neil Young. Amen. And... uh I don't love Neil Young, but apparently he did. And uh, but I'll never forget that him saying that. That made an impression on me as a teenager. I thought I didn't know, you know. And uh, so if you ever tell my wife I said any of that, you're a bunch of liars, and uh, and she'll believe me. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 13 tonight, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 14. Exodus chapter 13, verse number 14. I have a simple message to you tonight. Uh, but I trust God will use it in your heart as He has in mine. Exodus chapter 13, verse number 14. Now the context of this is that this is the institution of the Passover uh, for the children of Israel and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, God's giving instruction as to how they were to handle this. And uh, The Passover was to be a memorial. It was to be a, an object lesson. It was to be an occasion to teach their their children, generations, what God had done for them. And so in verse 14, it says that it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this, this Passover meal? Why are we doing this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. 
Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and by night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is to be in your house. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the church, Lord. Thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy uh, with each other, Lord, but most of all with you, that we can come into this place and we can preach your word, Lord. We know we're in a place where you are loved and you are adored and you are magnified. We know, Lord, that our hearts are knit together in the preeminence, uh, the place where you reside in our lives. I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to never take it for granted. Pray that you'd speak to the hearts of your people tonight. Lord, your word is fit for the task. It's capable. It's more than sufficient to do in our lives what needs to be done. Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you and to allow you to work your will and your way in us. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we preach through Exodus chapter 13 tonight, I'll tell you the thought that really is bearing on my heart as I read this passage. This passage is a testimony passage. God is telling the children of Israel how they are to explain this Passover meal to their children. Uh, If you've studied the Passover, and I I really, to be honest, I think the, the, the Paschal meal today looks different than it did when they came out of Egypt. I think there's been a lot that has been injected and added to uh, what God ordained and what God set forth. That, by the way, was a lot of the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus is because His pure biblical Judaism uh, and their polluted rabbinical Judaism didn't look nothing alike. Amen? And they were offended at that. And they saw Him as a threat to their power structure because so much of Judaism had been corrupted and polluted, scabbed onto and added onto uh, by the Talmud and the rabbinical teachings throughout uh, the generations. Uh, but here when this Passover meal was celebrated, it was celebrated for this distinct reason, to help the people remember. God didn't give the Passover because they needed to be fed. God didn't give the Passover because they needed something to do. God gave the Passover because He wanted them to remember I'm not preaching this as a Thanksgiving message in any way. I sort of gave up preaching holiday messages many years ago. Uh, if God gives me one, I'll preach it. And now it might be the middle of July when I do it. I don't know. But certainly I think there is an application to us as we sit on the precipice of this Thanksgiving holiday. What's Thanksgiving all about, man? It's about remembering. 
It's about remembering. I'd love to say it's about food. I'd love to say the weekend's about football. I'd love to say it's about family and fellowship. But if we're really being honest, why do we do it? It's about remembering. Remembering the goodness of God in our lives. And in that way, the Passover meal was similar. It was infused with imagery and and with doctrinal truth. And it was something that a person had to be inducted into or they would not understand what is transpiring. And so God gives this little template to the children of Israel. He said, there's going to come a day men are going to ask you what this meal is all about, why you do this, and why you live this way. And He says, I want you to tell them the story of how you came out of Egypt. Let me say in your life and mine, there's great value in remembering how we came out of Egypt. And there'd be a great benefit to us, especially as the older saints of God give testimony of how they came out of Egypt. What I'm saying is, how you got saved and how God has sustained you and led you and blessed you and guided you and what life for a Christian should look like. And I think that's what we have contained in this passage. So I want us to notice three thoughts tonight. I believe the Lord will help us through them and then we'll go. We're going to have a time of fellowship. What are we going to eat? Parfait. That sounds European. I know Jim said we're going blue. Maybe this parfait's a part of that, amen? The parfait's red, amen. Well, I'm going to stick with the red, amen. But we're going to go spend a little time in fellowship, so I'm going to hurry tonight. Let me notice these three thoughts with you this evening, and then we'll go eat parfait or whatever it is. So, and I shouldn't say that, I'm just picking. All right, look with me in verse number 14. The Bible says this, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? What is this meal? Why are we doing this? What's this all about? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage. We find it again down in verse number 16. He says, It shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes. By the way, he's not talking about the Jewish phylacteries there. Uh, later on, the Pharisees began to do that. Really, in, in light of the book of Deuteronomy, they took that as a mandate that they were to take little boxes and put portions of Scripture upon them. That was never endorsed by the Word of God. Here's what God was saying. He said, just like if you wanted to remember something, you'd write it on your hand. Or just like if you wanted to remember something, you'd put it right before your eyes. He's saying, I'm giving you this meal as a testimony so you'll be reminded of what? He says, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. The first thing he wants them to testify of is the power that led them out of Egypt. Now, inasmuch as we try to uh, draw a typological line between what God did in the nation of Israel and our experience as New Testament saints, I suppose a person could argue a little bit about what the point of being born again, the new birth, would have been. Some people would maybe say when they passed through the Red Sea. Some people would maybe say when the redemption money was paid on the other side. But I'd say this, at bare minimum, we probably couldn't go back no further than on that night in Egypt when the Passover lamb was slain and the blood was applied to the lintel post and the death angel passed over and he passed over the children of Israel because the blood had been shed. I'm saying tonight there was a power that brought us out of Egypt. How'd we get saved? How'd we get born again? How'd we get where we are today? I'd say number one, by the strength of God's hand. Twice he says it in this text, by the strength of the hand of the Lord. Now you say, preacher, what are you getting at? 
this evening. I'm saying this, that we stand here whole tonight, not by our own good works, not by our baptism, not by our sense of morality, not by how much we give, not by how much we've saved, but we stand here tonight by the strength of the Lord's hand. He's done it in our lives. There's not a one of us can stand at the throne of God and brag to the Lord that we had part in our salvation. We didn't do a thing to save us. All we did was allow the Lord to save us. Now let me make abundantly clear, I believe the Lord will save any and all that come unto Him. And I believe that the Lord Jesus died for every man. I believe that the Gospel is for whosoever will. And I believe we ought to share it. I believe that there's a, I believe there's enough salvation in the act of Christ on the cross to save every single person that's ever lived. I believe He died for all of them. They can all be born again. But what I'm saying tonight is there's nothing you or I did to effectuate that salvation except we just let the Lord do what He wanted to do in saving us. It was by the strength of the Lord's hand. And can I say this to you tonight? Listen, you and I, we sit here in our Sunday best. We sit here enjoying worship in the house of God. And I hope there's light years of difference between who we was then and who we are now. But it does not matter what in your life has transpired. If you sit here today whole in the grace of God, it's because God saved you and God changed you and God transformed you. It's not been anything that we have done. In my hand, no price I bring simply to thy cross I claim. We've come out by the strength of the Lord's hands. I think it's important that we emphasize to generations to come uh, that if anything's going to change in their life, if anything's going to transpire in their life, they're going to have to go to the Lord because only the Lord can do it. Uh, in your life and mine, if we're going to see victory in our lives, you say, what do you mean, preacher? Do you mean a better job or a better set of clothes? Or do you mean a better house? No, it ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if we're going to see Jesus magnified, if we're going to see our life glorifying Him, if we're going to see Him get the victory in our lives, then we're going to have to yield unto Him. If there's going to be victory, it's only going to be God that does it. It's by the strength of the Lord's hand. Uh, the, see, uh, the, the moment we forget that, is the moment that we fail and fall. Now, I'm not saying we fail of, uh, of our salvation. I'm not saying we lose our salvation. But I'm saying this, that's the moment that we stumble. It's the moment we get in the ditch. It's the moment we make a mess of our life, that we wander from the Lord, uh, that we live in sin, that we backslide, is the moment we forget that it's only the Lord that has kept us where we're at. It's only the Lord that has brought us where we are. It is only the Lord that can lead us in right paths. It's by the strength of God's hand. Then look at verse 15. He doesn't end there. He says this. Uh, we'll read verse 14 with it. It says, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of the hand of the, uh, of the hand of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage. Now that still leaves a question. If you were to answer it that way, the next question would be, Well, okay, Dad, that's good and everything, but why are we sitting here eating this lamb in light of and so he says, well, you're to go on and explain to them exactly how. What was the process? Not just what was the power, but what was the process? How did they come out of Egypt? In verse 15, and it came to pass. This is what you tell them. Tell them it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go. Uh, can I say this? Hey, listen, salvation is not hard for the believer, but it was hard for God. Uh, the devil didn't want to let mankind go. Uh, sin doesn't want to let mankind go. Uh, we say all the time, we talk about the free gift of salvation. And it is free because it is a gift. But uh, you mark her down, there was a price paid for. There was a price paid for. Uh, Pharaoh would hardly let them go. He did not want to let them go. In fact, 
nine consecutive plagues fall upon His people, decimating their economy and their physical well-being and their psychological well-being, but still He refuses to let them go. And so God finally does what has to be done. It says uh, that when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. We know the story. You know it. You've learned it in Sunday school how that the death angel passed through and took all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Except there was a group of people that he did not touch. Now again, you might say you can imagine sitting around the Passover feast and discussing this and you can imagine a son or a daughter looking at the father and saying, well, okay, Dad, I, I get that. You've told me that story. But why are we eating lamb? Why are we eating this beast? And he would say, Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord. He'd point at that lamb and he'd say, I give this lamb to God and I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. Here's what he'd say. He'd say, this lamb's on this table so that you're not on this table. And on that night in Egypt, the only thing that kept our firstborn children from being taken by the death angel was that there had been a lamb that had been sacrificed and the blood of that animal had been spread upon the lintels of the doorpost. And when the death angel came through and would have sought to pass into that home, he could not trespass the blood of the lamb that had been slain. A price had already been paid. So what's he telling his children? He's saying we came out by the strength of God's hand. But number two, he's saying we came out by the sacrifice of God's lamb. We came out because somebody died in our place. I can tell you why you're here tonight. By the grace of God, you're here because God loves you. And you're here because God expressed that love to you in the sacrifice of His only begotten Son. You're here today, and a single one of us deserves to be here tonight. I, I think, and I said this as we prayed, but I believe it in my heart how easy it is to take for granted. We all said a few months ago, we was never ever going to take it for granted again. Uh, didn't we? Isn't that what we all said? Getting to come to church. Getting to be in the house of God. We all said a few months, I ain't never going to take it for granted how easy we are to forget, how loath the flesh is to remember. It does not take long before our, our fleshly mind begins to, to, to not appreciate the goodness and grace of God in our lives. But listen, you understand it's a high and holy privilege to be a part of the New Testament church. You understand that only, I mean, listen, the world's been around more than 6,000 years. The majority of human history has never got to enjoy being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, getting to meet together in the congregation of the righteous and blood washed. We get the high and holy privilege of that. You say, preacher, how did we get here? Why are we in this place? Because there was a lamb that died in our place. We're here. Listen, it should have been us on the table. It should have been us that was slain. Uh, there wasn't nothing more righteous about the, the Israel, the, the, the Jews than, than there was about the Egyptians inherently, intrinsically. But it was the grace and promises of God that had permitted them to be spared. And God told them this simply. Uh, those that have the blood applied to the door can go free. They will be spared. They will be pardoned. But those that do not have that blood, uh, they will die just the same. You know, the Bible tells us there wasn't a single Israelite that died in the land of Egypt that night. But it was not because God wouldn't have killed the Jews. Uh, it was not because God wouldn't have slain them. It's because they in obedience had the blood applied to their door. You know, by the same token, listen, we ain't here because God's picking out a baseball team and, and, and we pitch well or we bat well. That isn't why we're here tonight. Uh, we're here because we've been obedient to the, uh, to the message of the gospel. You say, preacher, I don't like that language. Well, you're going to have to argue with the apostle Paul. Paul said, whereupon, O king, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. He ain't talking about working, but he is talking about yielding to the Lord. He's saying, I let God save me and change my 
life. We're here because Christ died for us. Now, all this seems very elementary. And I know you're sitting there thinking, Preacher, why on a Sunday night you're preaching on it? Preach on that Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe a, a visitor stumbling get born. Why are you preaching to us on a Sunday night? Remember, he was giving this instruction to those that had been redeemed. And he was saying, you have, a, you have a holy calling to pass this on to a generation. Can I ask you a question? How intentional are we being in sharing with those younger than us what God has done in our lives? One of the things, and it's a testimony to my wife, not to me. If I'm being frank, she's the one that's taught him this. But if you were to ask my little boy who Jesus is, he'd answer immediately, he's the Son of God and he's the Savior of man. Now, the reason he knows that, now he's saved now, he's been born again, he knows the Lord. But before he ever got saved, he knew the answer to that. You know why? Because his mama drilled that into his head ever since he was a little bitty. You say, you're brainwashing them. I'll wash every part of them I can. I want them washed. Listen, the, the, the world is going to pollute that brain. We better do something to preserve that brain. So we taught them from a very young age uh, who Jesus is. We can't put God in their heart. We can put them in their mind. We can testify to them what, what God has done for us. So the first is the power that led them out. Number two, we notice that He wanted them to remember and remind their children of the paths that God led them in. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, this is what they are to tell them, that it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, God led them through the way, led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led them about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. In other words, he says, you're going to tell them how you came. Not just what got you out, but you're going to tell them what it looked like to walk with God, to leave the place of Egypt and to the journey to the place of promise. You're going to explain to them what that journey looked like. Can I say this? We owe it to our children and our grandchildren and the children of our church and the children that God places in the scope of our influence. We owe it to them to testify to them what it looks like to live and walk like a Christian. And I noticed two things about it. And there's a lot of things we could say, but I noticed two distinct things. One, I noticed that it was a hard path. In fact, it was a path that was harder than it had to be. Can I tell you that living living for God is going to be harder than it has to be? I really want that to sink in. I, I don't want to explain it to you. I want you to puzzle it out. You listening? Living for Christ is harder than it has to be. You know why? Because the Christian journey is not a journey from point A to point B. If that's all it was, God could get us there in a moment. When He wanted to take Elijah up to heaven, Brother Charlotte, He sent a whirlwind to do it. When He wanted Enoch to be in heaven, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. If all Christianity was, was God getting you from your sins into heaven's glory, then He could do it in a heartbeat. But He's left us here. You know why? Because He's growing our faith and making us more like Jesus. And as that is the case, can I remind you that Jesus Himself took a circuitous route to the cross. Uh, he could have uh, he could have came to this world uh, as a full grown man and walked straight up Calvary's hill, but he did not. He was born in the womb of a virgin, and he walked this world, and and he lived for thirty three and a half years, and he he taught men, and he and he raised the dead, and he opened blinded eyes, and he ministered and testified of the Messiah to Israel. It was a circuitous route. You know why? Because Christianity is not the easiest way, and it's not meant to be. And for them. There was a quicker way. There was a shorter way. 
But I noticed that it was not the most fruitful way. The Bible says that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Can I say a few things about that? Let me say, number one, there's always going to be a way of the Philistines near us. You might as well mark her down in your life. If you're looking for an occasion to sin, the devil will make sure there always is one. The way of the Philistines is always near. There'll always be an easier path to take that's not God's path. It'll be easier to live like the world. It'll be easier to emulate what the world does. It'll be easier to walk with them and go with them. Listen, I think the psalmist was pretty pretty, uh, pretty sold on this because the very first psalm that he ever pinned down, he told us that we're not to walk not, we're not to sit not, we're not to stand not, we're not to be anywhere near the scornful or the ungodly or the sinful. Why is that? Because listen, if you'll walk with them, it won't be long. You'll stop and you'll be standing. If you stand with them, it won't be long. You'll get tired and you'll sit down with them. And if you're anything like me, once you, you ever, listen, you ever had a day where you thought to yourself, if I sit, I can't sit down. If I sit down, I'll never get up again. You know, that's true in your Christian life too, very often. If you sit down, you'll never get up again. And particularly if you sit down in sin, there's a lot of folks sit down in sin and never stand up again. They never walk out of it. They never get out of it. They just live in it the rest of their days. What the Lord's saying in Psalms chapter number one through the psalmist is He's saying, there's a way of the Philistines. Stay away from it. It's a near way. It's always present. It's always there. But it tells us that God loves His people and knows what they need because He didn't take them that way. He could have took them that way, but He didn't take them that way. Because remember, the shortest route is rarely God's route. The easiest way is not God's way. And you know, we often look at what God's doing in our lives and we think to ourselves, why is God making it harder than it has to be? And most of the time He is. I'd say we could look back at this year and say, boy, don't it feel like this year's been harder than it has to be. I heard a pre, I, 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 well, I said this the other night, I won't say it again. Suffice it to say, we're all done with 2020. We're all ready. We're all over it, man. People have been putting up Christmas lights since July, and that's not just consumerism. People's ready for it to be done, amen? They're, they're over it. And we look back and we think, why does things have to be harder than it has to be? Why does God do it that way? But you know, God's always done it that way. Because God's trying, you can go the easy path and you won't learn faith. You can go the easy way and you won't learn consecration and purity and devotion and dedication to Him. So He could let them that way, but here's why He didn't. He didn't because it was not in their best interest. The Bible says, for God said this, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Can I just give you some truth? You think, you, you want the easy path. So do I. Every one of us does. We all want the easy path, but here's the truth. You and I ain't ready for the easy path. The easy path would destroy us. God could send us that way and whatever you're asking and begging God to do, He could probably do it quicker and easier than He is doing it. But here's the truth you and I won't accept is that we're not ready for Him to do it that way. God is doing what He's doing in our life for a very distinct reason. It is not by accident. You say, preacher, it's so hard. It's such a hard path. Yeah, and very often the hard path is the holy path. Very often the hard path is the helpful path. Very often, listen, the hard path is the path that glorifies God. 
It should not surprise us that God doesn't take us the shortest route. He's never been in the habit. Even when they go into the land, you know the Bible says when they went into the land, God prevented them from conquering the land in a year. He said they could have done it, but He did not allow them to do it because the land would have been overgrown with beasts and with thorns. He said you're going to conquer it little by little. That's against our nature. It's against what we want. It's not what I want. It's not what you want. But it is what God wants because God knows what's best and God wants what's best for us. I see it was a hard path. But then notice, I see not only it was a hard path, but here's something interesting. Verse 18 says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And you wondered about this. I know you did when you read it, because I wondered about it and I studied about it. It says the children of Israel, they went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And you, you look at that and you probably thought what I did. Well, what does that mean? Went up harnessed. I know what it sounds like to me. Probably It sounds to me like they've got a Glock on the hip, you know? Somebody came up and said, Preacher, that guy's harnessed. I'd think to myself, yeah, he's carrying. Amen? I, I think somebody's strapped. Man, they're ready to go. And you know, you're almost right. If you study that word harnessed, it's pretty interesting. You only find it about four or five times in, in the Bible. And it is only ever presented as harnessed right here. The rest of the time, it's used in this way. It talks about people going armed. But what's interesting is if you study even that word armed, there's another word for armed that's used throughout the Bible. And that word, Brother Charlie, that, that is used for arm, the context suggests to us that when that word is used, it's talking about people holding weapons in their hand. Now, when I think of somebody being armed, I think of them holding weapons in their hands. But every time that this word is used, it seems to denote the movements of the people. Commentators argue and fuss about it, really, at the end of the day. You say, preacher, what do you believe that, that word means? I'll tell you exactly what it means. It means harnessed. Amen? And the context dictates to us exactly what it means, and it suggests to me not necessarily that they were carrying a bunch of weaponry, although I'm sure there were some that probably did have weapons, but I think it's talking about the way they left. Because that's what God's talking about. And the word is, seems to have with it the idea of the number five, and sometimes some people have said what it means is when they marched, they marched five abreast of each other. They marched side by side. Uh, some people suggest it means because they were harnessed in, in a military way, they were moving like a military maneuver. And some people say it simply just means that when they left, they left marching, calm, and orderly. You say, which one do you believe, preacher? I, yes. I believe probably all of them. I believe what it denotes to us is really just about three things. And it thinks it, it, it describes to me what it looked like when they left. What it looked like when they left. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it tells me this. When they left, it was calm. It was not a mad rush. Can I give you a little wisdom about your life? God's not the author of confusion. If you err on the side of, of, of waiting on God, I'm not talking about undue caution. I'm not talking about timidity. I'm not talking about a lack of boldness. But I'm talking about you say, I'm not going to go out in this life like a mad rush. I'm going to go in an orderly fashion. I'm going to let God guide me. I'm going to let God lead me. The Christian journey is not a mad rush. It's a slow, steady walk of communion, fellowship with God. Hey, listen, as we already said, God could take us to heaven in a moment if He wanted to do that. That tells me if He's left us here, it's not so much about getting to the destination, but it's about the journey itself. It's about the time we spend with God and being made like God. And so you say, preacher, what does that mean? It means this. We shouldn't be trying to just rush our way through this Christian experience. Or rather, we should be going in a calm, in an orderly way. And it tells me when they left, they had faith. Man, they want, 
we, we kind of look at it in our mind like they was looking back over their shoulder and running out and sneaking out under the cover of darkness. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they marched out of Egypt with their head held high knowing that Pharaoh was restrained and that God was victorious. They went out and they were calm. They had a resolve about it. Not only that, it tells me that it's connected. It's the will of God that we be connected. Five abreast, side by side. Now, commentators have said this would have put the procession of the children of Israel 68 miles long. God could have done that if He'd wanted to do that. But what it also could mean is it could mean that they marched in sort of sections of five, sort of columns of five, and there'd be five, and then five, and then five. And the fact that there's harnessed, I don't know about you, but when something's harnessed, it's connected. It's hooked to something in front, and it's hooked to something in back. And it tells me this, when they left the land of Egypt, they weren't loners. They weren't going on their own and in their own way, but they were going connected to each other. And it's a reminder to me, listen, you say, preacher, what paths does God lead us in? In connected paths. Uh, it's the will of God that we be connected with each other. Now, I'm not talking about an ecumenical movement that connects light and darkness and, and righteousness and wickedness, but I'm saying this. God didn't put us on this earth to be by ourselves. He put us here to be a part of a local New Testament body. He could have sent them out one by one, but He sent them connected to each other. Uh, there, you, you say, preacher, why is that? Well, there's folks behind them that they're leading. And there's folks in front of them that they're following. And there's folks beside them that they just keep, they're surrounded by people. You know why? Because they needed that accountability. Uh, you know, listen, the Christian life and the Christian experience is one of connectedness. Connectedness to, to God uh, through the Word of God, the promises of God, the Spirit of God. Connectedness to other believers uh, through the fellowship and enjoyment of the New Testament church and through the kinship of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God didn't put us down here to be loners. He put us down here to be part of a body. Not of an organization, but of an organism. Say, so what's the difference, preacher? An organization uh, can operate really with just one person uh, being the heart and, and the soul of it. An organization can uh, can fire people and lose people and don't affect them. But an organism senses uh, when somebody's apart or when someone breaks off. I'm saying this, God put us here to be together. Uh, this thing in the New Testament church is biblical. You need it. I need it. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's not a bonus pack for the Christian experience. It's part of a vibrant Christian living is that we'd be a part of a church, of a New Testament body of believers. They were connected. Then I'd say this, they were coordinated. In other words, they weren't just running, each going their own way. They were going on a... you with me tonight? They going on a certain path. And it was a coordinated path. Can I tell you this? There are ordered steps for us. There are certain ways that are right. There are certain ways that are wrong. This notion of, of moral uh, relativity, this idea that what's right for you might not be right for me and, and vice versa, you won't find that. Situational ethics is not a scriptural concept. You find that what's right is right. That's not to suggest that God may not be using me in capacities. He's not using you in or using you in greater capacities than He's using me in. It's not to suggest that God doesn't sometimes in our lives uh, set certain boundaries and standards for uh, the edification of us and our family that are meaningful to us, so there may not be a mandate of Scripture, but it is to say this, that when we walk, we walk together. There's a right way. There's a right path. There's a right direction that we ought to be going in. It was a coordinated thing. They went up harnessed out of land. So I find here in our 
in our text the paths that He led them in. And it was a hard path. It wasn't always the easiest way. And it rarely is. And it was a harness procession. Uh, they weren't just running out in a mad rush. And they weren't going out by themselves. And they weren't going out doing their own thing. God put them as a part of a body. And they marched in a calm, connected, coordinated way. But then I noticed the peace that He led them with. Look at verse 19 with me. The Bible says this, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. What an astonishing passage of Scripture. I can set and deconstruct in my mind the, the context and the situation of that all day long. I can think about them leaving Egypt, and I'll just be frank with you, I don't know that I would have thought anything about Joseph's dusty old bones coming with us. I'd been worried about getting away from Pharaoh. I'd been worried about getting out. I'd be sitting there saying, what are we going to do when we get to the Red Sea? There's a sea out there. What are we going to do when we get there? They're going to run us down like dogs if God don't do something. I'd have been thinking about getting everybody in line. You ever tried to go on vacation with your family? Uh, it, I mean, how, listen, how do you get two million people ready and out the door at the same time? Amen? The last thing I would have been thinking about was the bones of Joseph. But they were meaningful to the people of Israel. Why were they meaningful? Because they were representative of the promises of God. When Joseph came into the land, they weren't a nation. They were a family. And Joseph had seen the faithfulness of God throughout his life. He had seen God make promises and keep promises and preserve him and exalt him and bless him and, and prosper him. One of the last things that Joseph did before he died is he said, you know, God through His providence, He brought us out of the land of Canaan into the land of Egypt but this world is not my home. This land is not my, my heritage. And one of these days, God, because He's promised it, God is going to carry us back into the land. You say, Preacher, where did he learn that? Well, he learned that from his daddy, Jacob. Preacher, where did Jacob learn it? He learned it from his daddy, Isaac. Preacher, where did Isaac learn it? He learned it from his daddy, Abraham. Preacher, where did Abraham learn it? God Himself spoke it to him. What I'm trying to get you to understand is when Joseph made that covenant with the people and gave that command of them, they were still a family that had carried down as their heritage and inheritance these promises of God. Now he's saying one of these days God's going to take us back in the land and these promises God is going to keep. And in light of those promises, I'm not going to let you embalm or inter my body. You're going to have to preserve it and keep it in a casket, keep it in a place where you can pick it up and carry it. Because one of these days you're going to carry me into the land. God will keep His promises to us. Not just as a nation, but as a family. 450 years past, somewhere out in the storehouses of Egypt, uh, there was a dusty box that carried the bones of the old patriarch. And now as they're getting the procession ready to go, Moses says, Joseph, he gave us that commandment trusting the promises of God. Listen now, we're not going to leave the promises behind now. We've held on to Him this long. You listening to me tonight? We've held on to His promises all these years. We're not going to let go of them now. We're going to carry the promises on with us into the promised land. So they were representative of the promise of God. It took a lot of peace of mind. I'll be honest, if I'd been Pharaoh, that would probably made me mad. I don't know why, but it would have. I would have fought the arrogance of these people. Uh, they're supposed to be afraid of me. They're supposed to be fleeing in fear. 
They're not leaving like a mob of people scurrying away. They're not leaving like a bunch of cockroaches that have been scattered. They're even taking time to get that old box with old Joseph's bones in it and carry it with them and look at them. They're marching not like a herd and a mob of cockroaches, but like columns of army ants. They're marching forth with calm and procession. You know, it would have said to me, boy, these people must have a lot of confidence. They must have a lot of peace in their minds. I would say this, when they left Egypt, they left with the peace of His promises. They had kept that box for 450 years and now they said to themselves, if God brought us this far, He'll not fail us now. He's kept this box. He's kept these bones. He's kept these promises. Now we're going to just trust that these promises are going to carry us on through to the land of promise. He's not going to fail us now. We've held on to these promises all these years. We're not going to let go of them now. God will be good to us. And He will keep His promises. You know, there's great peace in the promises of God. After all, God's kept all of His promises for all these long years of human history. Uh, doesn't it, isn't it good to know tonight God's a promise keeper? So, preacher, what do we tell our kids? How do we teach our kids? What do we tell them about this thing of living for God? There's a lot of things you ought to be teaching them. Let me tell you one of the things you ought to be teaching them. You ought to be teaching them that God's a promise keeper. That God's Word is true. That when God promises something, His promises or yea and amen. They're true. God will not fail us. That's what Joseph, he had probably taught his children lots of things. What survived those 450 years? His bones had survived. What will hold our kids through? There's a lot of theology we can teach them and a lot of it that they may forget. I've probably forgotten more theology than I surely have ever retained in the books that I've read and the things that I've been taught and the wisdom bestowed upon me. You say, preacher, what's something that's stuck to your ribs? The fact that God keeps His promises. They came out and they had the peace. They just knew that God would keep His Word. What we ought to do is we ought to live the promises of God in front of our children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews. And we ought to love the promises of God in front of them. And we ought to learn them the promises of God. That's not good English, but it's good East Tennessee English and it's alliterated. Amen. We ought, listen, we ought to learn them the promises of God. We ought to teach them what God has said in His Word. So they had the peace of His promises. And then finally, and I don't think this is by accident, the Holy Ghost puts it right in here at the end. He says down in verse... Number 20, they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And it says this, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So you know what He was giving them, right? He was giving them direction. He was giving them light. Isn't that good? He told them which way to go. Brother Charlie told them how to go that way. You know, that's what the Lord does in your life and mine. He don't just tell us what's right. He tells us how to be right. He don't just tell us what direction to go. He gives us the, the light of His Word as a light unto our feet, as a lamp unto our path. He, he guides us through His Word. And that's what He did for them. And then it says this, and it didn't have to say this. could have stopped at verse 21. I, I sort of believe, I believe every bit of the Word of God is given to us on purpose. None of it is expendable. But if you're telling this story, you could have probably stopped at verse 21. And I don't know that you would have had, but, but the Holy Ghost said, No, Moses... Pin down verse 22 because they need to understand that He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Didn't matter if it was a cloudy day, they knew which cloud to follow. Didn't matter if there's lightning in the sky, they knew what the pillar of fire was. There wasn't no mistake in it. There wasn't days when He sent it out and days when He didn't. They didn't have to wake up each day just wondering whether that cloud would be there or whether they'd just have to sit there and stay put. Even when they didn't have to move, God put the pillar there. 
You ever thought about that? Why did he put the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud there even when they didn't have to go nowhere? You know why? Because he wanted them to know that he was there no matter what. Not only during their steps, but also during their stops. Not only when they moved, but also when they waited. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud by day and by night, they was always there. You know why? Because it was not just a means of directing their path, but it was a manifestation of His divine presence. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, they went in the peace of His promises, but they also, Brother Charlie, they went in the peace of His presence. Uh, here's what you'd tell your son. Your son sit there and said, why are we eating this Passover meal? Why are we doing this? Uh, why are we gathering on Thanksgiving Day? Why are we talking about all these things and blessings that we have enjoyed? Very simply this, we, we want people to know that God has brought us out of Egypt by, by the strength of His hand, by the sacrifice of His Lamb. If we have anything good at all, it's because God has given it to us. We want them to know and understand that He's led us all this way. And sometimes it was a hard path, but it was always a harness procession. God always gave us direction. He always told us, where to go. And we've gone uh, and we haven't had to go popping nerve pills and trying to get peace of mind and trying to uh, navigate this world without going crazy. We've gone through this world with the peace of God. How did we get that peace, Dad? Well, we leaned on His promises. We just believed that what God said was true and we could have confidence in it. But listen, son, every step we've gone, we've gone with the peace of His presence. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. You know, the greatest gifts you can give your children is to tell them God never fails and He never forsakes. If we could teach our children that how radically it would transform the rest of their days, if they could understand God will never fail and God will never forsake them. He was with us the whole way. I can tell you this about 2020. I'm going to re-preach this on New Year's Day, so hurry up and forget it. I'm going to tell you what I can say about 2020. I can say two things about it. Man, it's been wild. But I can also say God has been good. Hadn't He been with us the whole way? Every step. Man, there's things I didn't expect. Things I never thought. God's been with us the whole way. He's never led us. We've enjoyed the peace of His presence the whole time. Uh, there's been times His presence has been sweet. There's been times His presence has been smiting in my life. Uh, but the whole way, He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. Even times that I that I just had to wait and sit still on God. He, he, he didn't have to direct me any this way or that way. He's still there just because He wanted me to know that He is still there. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, it never left us the whole way. You say, preacher, how do we, we go through this life? How do we go through this life? We go with His promises, but thank the Lord we get to go with His presence as well. That's the testimony of a, of a father around the Passover table. And I wonder tonight if it might be the testimony in your life and mine. Preacher, what do I do with that? Well, there's a number of things you could do with it. I think if nothing else, we could bow a knee of gratitude to God to thank Him for His goodness in our lives. But there could be some struggling with a hard path. Take encouragement. God could have took you an easier way, but He could have took you a better way. He could have took you a simpler way, but He couldn't have, have, have took you a safer way. He took you the way He took you, and He's taking you the way He's taking you with divine purpose. Go ahead and just harness up. Be calm. Trust God. Don't give up. Don't run out on your own. Don't run out in a mad rush. Stay yoked up with the people of God. Stay yoked up with the Word of God. Stay yoked up with the will of God. Don't, don't get, don't get jumpy on God. Run away. Just keep trusting Him. And you know what you'll find? You'll find His promises are always true. And His presence is always there. Let's bow together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, the altars open, and you don't have to wait for the first note to be played. You can come even now, and some already are. But I just want you to be obedient.
Mind the Lord tonight. Come meet Him wherever He's met you this evening in your life. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. I pray that You'd use it in our hearts and minds in these next few moments. I pray that Your people would be obedient to You. Lord, we love You. We ask it in Jesus' name with our heads bowed.